All right, welcome in, everybody. Happy Friday. It is a September edition of On the Clock, Sports Radio 94 WIP, and Phillies 24-7. I'm Ben Kenny, your host, and it's a September episode, a full week in September that is now complete. And that can only mean one thing. The Phillies are sliding, they're playing bad baseball, they're finding ways to lose, and anxiety is building. I would have it no other way. I cannot imagine rooting for a baseball team that somehow is good in the final month of the season to make the playoffs. Last year, it didn't matter. They made it anyway. This year, it probably won't matter. They're probably making the playoffs anyway. But the first wild card is now in much bigger question than it was after a 2-5 and five homestand. A 2-5 and five week, they go 1-2 and two against the Marlins, and then the Braves come in, and we know how the Braves series ended last night, which we'll get to, but the Braves take three out of four. So I don't know I don't know where to start. There's so much from the week to talk about, but I can't help coming away from it thinking we're kind of learning what this team is right now. What with this iteration of the Phillies going towards the playoffs, we're learning kind of what they're gonna be. They are an offense now with Trey Turner humming that puts up runs. I don't care if the Braves are up six to one, if it's four to one, you always feel like the offense is gonna come around and get the team either back in the game or or extend a lead. Now, obviously, there's still some very frustrating men-on-base situations. There's JT Romuto not coming through. Castellanos is in a crazy funk. But overall, it's a team with an offense that you're excited to watch. You uh, genuinely going into every inning. I always feel this way when a great pitcher's on the mound. I kind of want the offense to just end the inning so I can watch this guy go back out and pitch. And the Phils don't have that guy right now, which is another thing about the team. But offensively, they're appointment viewing. Like that's a they have a box office offense. That's what I would call it. But they are also a team with Zach Wheeler, Jeff Hoffman, and then 15 other pitchers where you kind of cross your fingers. I might throw Chris Sanchez in the mix with those other guys. But right now, legitimately, think about the guys on this staff, in the starting staff and in the bullpen that you could trust. Now, I know Wheeler just got hit, but come playoff time, he's the one. He's been incredible. Jeff Hoffman leads the team in ERA and whip. Not something I would expect to say in September. He's been incredible. He's getting high leverage spots. But it's Wheeler, Hoffman, and an offense that you hope can outscore an opponent. I don't know what other part of this team I feel great about right now. There are nights where, okay, Brandon Marsh has a big night or Stott's consistently coming through. But that's still a general offensive theme. There's Ranger Suarez comes back and shuts down the Marlins. There's always something, though, when those things go well that turns right around and either blows the game or makes you question what it's going to look like. So that's that's what it is. It's pending Ranger, maybe Strom, if Rob Thompson doesn't freaking throw him out for a second inning like he always does, and that never goes well. I just I, I look at this past week, and I, and I can't come away from it without thinking that a deep run will not happen. And by deep run, I mean beating the Braves in the division series. That's getting to the NLCS. A deep run is not going to happen if every pitcher except Zach Wheeler gets rocked and the bullpen can't close games. Look at the scores of the games this week. They lose 10-8 to to the Braves the first game of the doubleheader. They win 7-5. to They lose 7-6. to And then they finally lose 4-1. to And... 
another thing that's recurring, which is another theme that I want to get to, is the whole heroic homer in the ninth inning or eighth inning and then lose the game anyway, that bit that the team is running has gotten old. It was never funny, but it was tolerable because you were so excited that the homer happens. And I have them listed. I ended up tweeting it. The screen grabs of right before in the last two to three weeks, the Phillies had a miraculous home run and they would go on to lose every other game. That bit is getting old. There is a consistent theme in these games, though. They're all high scoring. The offense is pulling off, again, these miraculous comebacks to get back in games. And then either the bullpen blows it or for whatever reason, whoever's fault it was, they are giving up too many runs right now, straight up. In the bullpen, or they're facing holes because some of the starters can't get out of the fourth or fifth inning without five or six runs on the board. I have them. Uh, uh, let's go through this. If you're a masochist and you enjoy pain, here you go. Otherwise, maybe skip ahead 15 seconds. Number one, back in the Giants series, when it was still the August vibes, team was playing great. Harper down 5-2 in the ninth, first and second, no out. Harper hits the three-run bomb off Camilo Doval, who they kind of broke. He blew two saves that series. Well, the Phils lost that game 8-6. to six. So there's, the, the, there's piece number one of the theme. Second, I was at this game. It was one of the more incredible games I've been to that had... Re- I came away, I, I talked on the show. It felt like a win because of how great it was at the ballpark when this happened. But then they did lose the game. Harper hits his 300th homer, bottom of the eight, man on first, two out, down one. They go up eight to seven. Craig Kimbrell gives up three runs. They lose 10 to eight. Number three, Trey Turner down in Milwaukee. Devin Williams, unstoppable, un- unhittable, excuse me, on the mound. They're down three to two. I think two outs in that at bat too. He hits the homer. They go up five to three. Then the bone error happens. They lose seven to five. Number four, I can't believe there are more than two of these, let alone right now we're up to five. Number four, is on Monday, another game I was at, unfortunately with a Braves fan. Harper hits the two-run homer off Iglesias in the ninth to tie it. It's 8-8. Eight to eight. They lose 10-8. to eight. They give up two in the 10th inning. And then finally, against the Braves again, they're down one in the bottom of the ninth. Turner hits the home run. Then they get two guys on, JT with the most lifeless strikeout I've ever seen, and they lose the game 7-6. to six. The theme there is how many runs opponents are scoring in those games where even when these miraculous comebacks happen, the pitching staff is not even reliable enough to get them wins in those spots. And it's frustrating as a fan. Had they won three of those, we're talking about the number one seed is close to locked up. We feel great yet. That's not the case. And the Phils are only up. I believe a game and a half on the Cubs at the time of this recording for that wild card spot. And I just, I could see it so clearly. They go to Wrigley and it just goes downhill. You have those weird September vibes continue on the road in that series. They have to get the series at home and they keep doing it to us. They keep coming back and taking the lead or tying it. And then something bad happens and they lose the games, which, so I was on air. This was after the Turner Homer and then subsequent two guys get on. JT strikeout, Castellanos double play. That game that they lost 7-6. to six. I was on that night, and people were angry, rightfully so, but angry at the wrong things. 
continue to be angry at the wrong things. There's a lowest common denominator approach here to blame the manager. That when the players in those big spots, and I'm talking about Real Muto, who has not had a clutch hit, I cannot remember the last time he did. The World Series, Game 1, is that the last time he did? Everybody calls in and blames the manager for a couple things. Number one, no small ball. Number two, no bunting. Number three, no pinch hitting JT for stubs so he could do small ball or bunt. They say the same thing in extra innings. Even though Bryson Stott comes up, does ground out, and it's Marsh in that spot who can't get the run in from third. Listen, would I like it if the hitters were better at situational hitting, like Marsh in that spot off Brad Hand? Absolutely. That's baseball. Like That's what we grew up, that's how we played it when we were young, when we didn't have the power. We knew how to bunt because the pitchers weren't throwing very hard, but also because it's a valuable way at that level to score runs. These days in baseball, that doesn't exist. And that's a larger discussion. But to pile on the manager for not having his catcher, who has not laid down a bunt in eight years, people said he should be teaching JT how to bunt so he could do it in those spots. I I could not believe the volume of calls we got on the topic. And I I cannot help but think, why can't he just get a hit there? Why can't he just come through like Bryce Harper or everybody else, every productive hitter on the team right now, is coming through in those spots. It has nothing to do with what the manager is telling the guys or not telling the guys to do. He bunts there. Who knows? Castellanos comes up and strikes out or grounds out. It's not a guarantee you're winning that game. The only way you can guarantee a win there is if the player in the big moment actually gets it done. And managers can only set their team up for success. They're not out there actually playing it. So to come down on the manager for losses like that, and, and I've heard it constantly, when they get to extras, oh, why don't you bunt him over? It's because you're handing away an out. And I hate bunting, generally speaking, but I understand if it's Garrett Stubbs and he's hitting 210, yeah, that's a productive way to, to use that at bat. But if you're talking about Bryson Stott or the good hitters on the team to take the bat out of their hands and have them bunt, categorically against it. It is on them, and JT should be one of those hitters when he is up to bat. It is on the players that are in the moment to actually get it done. Thompson doesn't deserve any blame for this. Thompson is doing all he can, and his hands are tied, frankly. This is this is another thing from the week. The pen in, in the losses. This is going back to the Miami series. Last Friday, the bullpen, four innings pitched, three runs given up, loss. Saturday, they pitched great. Four and two-thirds, zero runs, the Phillies won. Sunday, Two and two-thirds. Bullpen gives up two runs. They lose. Monday, first game. Three and two-thirds innings from the pen. Four runs. Teams, team loses. The second game on Monday, they pitch better. Tuesday then, five innings pitched. And this was a fine day. Uh, it was the damage done early that they couldn't. Uh, the Wheeler game, where Wheeler got rocked. But they give up one run. It's when you're a manager, and if people expect, okay, it's a wild card race. People expect Rob Thompson to be managing every game like it's game seven because you have to win. And I agree with the thinking. The issue is you also have a beat down bullpen because the starting rotation's not been great. And the bullpen's been having to carry the team for a good amount of the season. And it did early. And now we saw some injuries. Alvarado and Sir Anthony are not pitching great. People want him to manage every game like it's game seven. 
where Taiwan Walker say, and this happened Monday, a, a guy right next to me yelled it. Oh, take Taiwan out. He's getting crushed. To bring in who? You're playing a doubleheader. You have three more games against Atlanta. You're going to use all of your top relievers to keep a game when you're down 5-2 to two, to keep that a three-run game. And yet, even the guys you're going to bring in, unless his name is Jeff Hoffman, they're probably going to going to give up runs. So his hands are tied in that anything he does as a manager, bullpen-wise and pitching staff-wise, can be viewed at as a mistake because not enough guys are getting outs. It's that simple to me. When a bullpen pitches great from top to bottom, a manager looks like a genius, no matter what he does. He pulls a pitcher, he brings in the new guy. If that new guy, whoever he is, is pitching great, then everybody praises the manager. Yet, when the bullpen can't get outs, and even your top guys are giving up runs, it always looks like Thompson's fault. So I'll defend the guy and say, JT, offensively, and the bullpen, pitching staff-wise, and Walker, and the, the Chris Sanchez not going deep enough in games. I get that part of it. And he did go deep. The offense couldn't help him the one time they actually got a good start from the pitcher. But I, I'm going to defend Rob Thompson here. Sir Anthony blew the game on Sunday. Alvarado blew one on Monday. Again, only Jeff Hoffman is pitching great right now. And it's tough to manage in that way. I want them to play every game like it's game seven. You need to win these. I also need some of these pitchers to be alive in the playoffs. Where the more you use them, the worse they'll be throughout the rest of the month. Now, once you get to the last couple series, okay, I get that. But you can't just run down your bullpen in the first week of the month and then expect when you need to win close games in two or three weeks and everyone's gassed and tired to expect to be able to do it that way. So I'll defend Rob Thompson and put a little more on the players who some of them are coming through more than we could ever imagine. Trey Turner obviously being one, Harper being one, and those two pitchers I've mentioned endlessly so far on the show today. Everybody else isn't. And they are they are a team that is built to win a World Series, but it doesn't matter how you're built, and it doesn't matter how you're managed if the guys you're supposed to rely upon can't get it done. And to me, that's what's going on with the Phillies right now. And it's frustrating because everything goes wrong in a game. They're down 6-1 when Wheeler gets crushed, and then Bryson Stott, Harper, and Turner bring the team back in it. Yet the same theme of some of the other guys not being able to do it pops up and they lose. Like That's what this team is right now, as I mentioned at the top of the show. They are a couple stars at the top, offensively mainly, and then one or two pitchers, and then the rest you cross your fingers and hope. Now the, the only way I guess that changes, the only way the outlook, because that's a negative way to look at what's going on, it's hard to not be negative when they go 2-5 and five and the Braves are celebrating another division title here. But the only way the outlook can change is if the guys pitch better. If Alvarado and Sir Anthony are able to string together five or six productive appearances, which are going to need to happen for the team to win, it's going to need to happen for all of our confidence. So I, that's where we are. Just a, a frustrating week. And I would love, like, this team could have so many moments. Moments that we look back, hopefully when they go deep in the playoffs, as part of the special run. Last year, all of those moments obviously came in the postseason. This year, it kind of felt like the postseason was starting in August when Turner starts to go on his run and Harper starts to have his power back. 
it felt as though, especially at Citizens Bank, the playoffs were starting and the run was starting and the moments were. And then you look back on the last couple weeks and you have five unbelievable potential moments for the season be wiped away by a variety of reasons. Part of it, the bullpen. It's tough. It sucks. Now, I'll talk myself into the team. That's the beauty of baseball. And it's the beauty of, unfortunately, being a Phillies fan sometimes is they show you a lot of crap. They show you a lot of bad. And then we spin it to be good or we talk ourselves into things happening. And I am so grateful that last year happened both actually in a lot of ways, aside from just the the run and how magical that was, that run taught us that they could flip the switch again, that it's possible. Now, I will say that some of the guys that were dominant then aren't dominant now, but we know that there is a possibility out there, wherever it is, that a, fl- that a switch could be instantly flipped and the team could just start playing great, you know, the, the power Phillies winning baseball. There's also, you know, the part of last year where the Castellanos thing happened, which showed us that with Turner, his career isn't over. There's a chance that there's a turnaround there. Now, I don't think I would have bet on Turner being one of the best hitters in baseball right now, while Castellanos has regressed to one of the worst. I believe, actually, season long, Trey Turner has better numbers than Castellanos. After all that's gone on, after Castellanos carried the offense there for about a month. But I'm glad last year happened because it's about how you choose to look at it. You can look at it optimistically and think, oh, they're in the playoffs, a run will happen. Or you can focus on the things that are not going well. I find myself in the middle often, but directly coming off that Brave series, I couldn't help myself but look back, look at why this is happening. And, I mean, kind of... Kind of lament the fact that it did. Because it would be so fun to talk about what Trey Turner and Harper are doing uh, miraculously for this team. So that's where we are. The Phillies 2-5 and five during the week. They are now one and a half games up on the Cubs. They're 79-67. and 67. Notably, with the same record through that many games as the 2008 Phillies and the 1980 Phillies. If you believe in all that kind of stuff. They're three and a half on Arizona who is, they're four up right now on a playoff spot. And even if they have a subpar couple weeks, now they play Atlanta again, but they do get Pittsburgh, they get the Mets twice, and and the Cardinals, even if they have a subpar couple weeks here and play sub-500, win, what, seven or eight games, lose nine or ten, it would take a, a miraculous stretch from the Giants who are playing bad, from the Reds, from the Marlins, from all those guys to do it together to jump up to knock the Phillies out. I don't think that's going to happen. So they're going to be in the playoffs. But we're focused on bigger things, and rightfully so. All right, it's on the clock. I'm Ben Kenny, hanging out with you today. We have a lot to get to. So coming up, I do want to talk about who we can actually trust in the bullpen and who I trust for the rest of the month and going in to the playoffs. And I want to talk about a big move made by a division rival this week that I think is going to impact, obviously will impact the Phillies, but what impact will it have? That's coming up a little later on. But when we come back, all of my, the rest of my thoughts from the week, I should say, and the power rankings of the bullpen, who do you actually trust? We'll get to that next. It's on the clock. 
Welcome back. It's on the clock. Ben Kenny with you where um, I just re-looked up the numbers, and this is not very professional of me. I should have a nice lead-in. Oh, this is what we're going to talk about. This is the segment. And the moment I start recording again for this segment, I looked up the Phillies pitching numbers over the last 15 days. And I'm sure many of you would wonder, aside from a guy like Junior Marte pitched two innings, who do you think has the best ERA of the staff in that time? I'll let you think about it. And then I'll I'll get to it at the end of the bullpen stuff because it plays in. Uh, It's a guy that, safe to say, I do not trust out there. Um, But there's a lot of other stuff from the week that I want to touch on, both looking forward to the playoffs and looking back. First, who do you actually trust in this bullpen right now? If it's possible, really, to, to trust anybody. I mean, overall in the week, I think the the Phil's bullpen last week had a four, uh, an ERA around four. Yeah, 11 runs in 25 and two-thirds innings. It was more when the runs were given up was the worst time to possibly give up runs. And it came from, again, Alvarado, Sir Anthony, obviously Kimbrell. I... I can't help still. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go one down. We'll start with the most confident. I know Jose Alvarado has not had the greatest stretch. I cannot help but still trust him the most. And that kind of tells you where we're at. He's only boy well, he came back from injury. He pitched three innings last week. He did give up two runs. One of them earned uh, four strikeouts. He is still, and I said this on a show a couple weeks ago, there's something to be said about stuff. And it working when you get to the playoffs where obviously control is his big problem when it is a problem. It's not like guys are squaring up Alvarado suddenly. Like he's still nasty out there. There are just times where he allows a couple too many base runners and one untimely hit gets him. Alvarado is by far the guy I trust the most. I would not have him saving games, but he is still your high leverage mop up guy. And I think Thompson also trusts him the most. I think you could see it when he's put in games. Now, the the hard guy to figure out is Sir Anthony, who is a little further down on the list, because Thompson is still putting him into the big spots and some of the mop-up stuff, and he's not coming through, at least recently. And, and that one, he's just been off all year. He pitched three and a third innings last week, four earned runs, five hits, two home runs, a walk, ERA of 10.8. Like, I, I can't figure him out because he was so utterly dominant last year, and it just hasn't been the case this season. So uh, he's further down. Number two, though, the biggest surprise, and somewhere I should say I was dead wrong on this guy. I thought he was Dylan Covey adjacent. Jeff Hoffman. I think I'm starting to trust Jeff Hoffman more than everybody in the bullpen except Alvarado. Again, he's the lowest ERA on the team with the 2-3. He's a whip of .89. He, I, I should amend what I led the segment with. He does have the lowest ERA. Pitched in six games in the last 15 days and has not given up a run. He has the lowest. The second lowest is the guy I'm going to get to. It was just a number that jumped off the page, we'll say. But Jeff Hoffman's been awesome. And he's starting. he's starting to look better as the season goes along. It must be a confidence thing. When he came up with the Rockies six, seven years ago, he was a highly touted prospect. He had the stuff. The problem, I, well, he pitched in Coors Field, 
And then, I don't know, he just lost it. It never really worked when he got to the majors. And the story, obviously, of him coming up here uh, with the Phillies is amazing. He's been great. And I truly, like, I'm fine if he closes games. I'm fine if we get to the playoffs and instead of Kimbrell, it's Jeff Hoffman closing a game. Now, there's some comfort in a guy like Ranger doing it. I don't know why. I just trust the guy when he's out there. But Jeff Hoffman has been incredible. And I trust him second behind Alvarado. Third right now on this power ranking trust list is Matt Strom. Now, in the playoffs, again, I plead to Rob Thompson to not have him pitch multiple innings. Have him mop up an inning and then take him out. He cannot come back out for the other because that's always when it goes wrong with him. But his stuff has been good recently. In the last 15 days, Matt Strom, he is a 3-6, five innings. He's given up a couple runs. But the I don't have numbers to back this up. It feels like those runs have come when he goes out for inning number two. So Strom's there. Kimbrell's behind him. I'm at a weird spot with Kimbrell. I don't want him closing games, but somehow he still gets the job done more often than he doesn't. It's just when when it does go wrong, it is really bad. In the last 15 games, uh, five appearances, he has given up a run, but it was in extras when that run technically does not count. So Kimbrell there is four. Five is where I put Sir Anthony. I just, I, I have no faith in the guy right now. And th- there are days where he looks awesome. And then he comes back the next time, walks a couple guys, wild pitch. He's giving up the long ball, which is the most concerning part for bullpen pitchers. If, if they're getting squared up, if a guy like Sir Anthony's getting squared up like that, things are not right. So, I mean, I just pray it changes. I pray it changes come playoff time. And then behind him is Soto, who, I, I don't know, one amazing strikeout, a couple walks. Next thing you know, the team scores three. No faith in him. And then Junior Marte, probably behind him. We'll see how he looks the rest of the month. Good move bringing him back up, though. Like, they they could not put Andrew Bellotti out there. He was throwing batting practice to guys. He, he's grooving like 88 middle-middle to Ronald Acuna. And I wonder how that ended uh, in, in left field with everybody booing him as he did his little trot thing around the bases. But Marte, Lorenzen, once he gets out there, has a chance to rise. And then the guy that I was going to mention, who has one of the lowest DRAs on the team in the last week, how about Dylan Covey? Five appearances, one run, a 1.29, seven innings, six hits in those innings. And I he's limiting damage. He's out there eating innings for the guys. And I know he's a punchline of a lot of jokes, and everyone wants him sent down. I'm fine if he's at the back end. There aren't better options. That's a theme with this team in a lot of ways. Oh, Nola can't start game two. Well, who's going to? Who's the better option than him right now? Same with Covey. I'd rather Covey out there than Bilotti. I'd rather him. I think Brogdon's been hurt, if I'm not mistaken. But I'd rather him than some of the other guys that this team has had. So, bullpen's got to turn it around. But I, I look... Look to see if Marte or Saranthony can string together good outings because that changes a lot. I don't need Soto. I'd rather have Strom face lefties in big spots or Alvarado for that matter. But they need a couple dependable power righties. If Jeff Hoffman is one of them, you need some others. And I, I'm not going to have faith that it's going to be Kimbrell. So I would love for it to be Saranthony or if, if Marte can actually find the zone. 
So that's the bullpen. I wanted to get to this too before we move on. Can we look back on Dave Dombrowski's deadline for a second? Because at the moment, and for the following week and a half to two weeks, it looked like a, a fine deadline. Nothing to knock our socks off. And all of the classic, oh, you acquired Trey Turner, who started hitting at the deadline. Aside from that, with the Renzen pitching eight scoreless his first outing and throwing the no-hitter his second, everybody looked at the move said, oh, it's genius. You know, he got a starter that can also relieve, and it's going to help the team a lot. Well, Lorenzen since then has been somewhat terrible. Friday, August 18th against Washington, three and a third, six runs. Wednesday, the 23rd against San Francisco, five and two-thirds, four runs. I did this last week, but it continued against the Braves. He gives up three against the Angels, six against the Padres, four against Atlanta. He is pitching for the team, which is good, but he's not blowing anybody away. He's at his career high in innings. He's going to be a bullpen piece in the playoffs. Should we start talking about what Dombrowski didn't do at the deadline? Because the other guy they acquired is Rodolfo Castro, who since August 12th has played in four games, has five plate appearances, and has been a complete waste of a roster spot. He has one hit with the Phillies, and he has been so bad that they're not comfortable pinch-hitting him for Brandon Marsh against Brad Hand, where it's a dead matchup. You feel terrible about Marsh in that spot. And they don't feel confident. A guy that was supposed to hit righties or lefties well as a righty just hasn't done it. He has been so bad that they can't play him. And that's a utility infielder they acquired. Instead of, I don't know, Randall Gritchick, Hunter Renfro, for instance, who he wasn't traded, but during waivers, that wasn't a guy that you could pick up as a power righty bat off the bench. This team could use that big time. And we talked about it going into the deadline, and they didn't acquire one. So whether it's the lack of a big bullpen addition, which this team clearly needed, given how it's performing, a right-handed bat off the bench, I don't know how much better this team got at the deadline. And we're not going to question Dabrowski because of the job he's done elsewhere, but if the two things that plague this team in games that are elimination in the playoffs are the bullpen and the fact that nobody off the bench can hit, then I'm going to look to the GM and say, okay, well, where were you trying to improve that at the deadline? I think the review snapshot today of Nebraska's deadline is it was bad. This team didn't get better. What masked it instead was Trey Turner started to go off, and the team played crap teams all of August. So everyone said, oh, look, you know, they're, they're peaking. No one's looking at the additions and saying, well, they haven't really brought anything. We're not nearly enough to this team for what the team needed. You could also argue that they needed a third starter, which Lorenzen was for two starts, but anybody could have seen the collapse coming from a mile away. The guy hasn't pitched this many innings in his career and then goes out and throws 124, 25 pitches in a no-hitter. Anyone could have seen that coming. So now you're, you're tasked with going to the playoffs with Wheeler, Nola. I think it should be Ranger third after that good start in Miami. And just, I trust the guy blindly. Put Ranger third. Chris Sanchez probably is your fourth starter right now, which is wild to say, but it's true. The guy gave up four runs through seven and a third against Atlanta. Two of those in the first inning and then battled. Out of all the options, and again, what are the better options? There aren't any. 
Chris Sanchez is that guy because Taiwan Walker can't get outs and can't find the strike zone. And Lorenzen is not going to be a starter in the playoffs. So Wheeler, Nola, Ranger, Chris Sanchez. I guess that's your rotation. And then maybe Taiwan pitches the fifth game and have have someone else open for him and then have Taiwan come in in the third inning. So we avoid that whole first inning thing. But I don't think Dave Dombrowski did enough at the deadline. And it's not it's not as pressing of an issue to lead the show with because it hasn't cost the team yet. But if it does, this is somewhere that you can return to say, okay, we said that. That was something we were all over. This team did not get better enough at the deadline. And I looked at the GM for that. All right, it's, it's on the clock. A couple headlines that I just want to make people aware of. I don't have drastic takes on them, or at least on the second. That's an off-season topic. The first headline comes from September 10th, a couple days ago. Today's Reese Hoskins update. He's hitting off a tee, taking dry swings. He's also doing some running and changing directions. It will be, quote, a little bit before he starts to do soft toss and batting practice in the cages. There's a weird rumbling out there that if this team makes it to the NLCS or the World Series, somehow Hoskins could join as a pinch hitter, pinch hitting capacity. Which, go back to the Rodolfo Castro conversation we just had. Could you imagine bringing Reese Hoskins? Make him match stairs. He pinch hits, you get him out of the game, that's it. But you need a home run in a big spot. He's the guy you're putting out there. I mean, that would... That would make things, again, look differently. That's a weakness that becomes a strength immediately if he's somehow able to return. I'm not going to bank on it, but it's something to monitor. He's starting to get going, and what? The final rounds of the playoffs are still a month and a half away. So hopefully he's able to return. The, the boost in the clubhouse just would be incredible. And then hopefully he gets stuff on the field. The other headline is... From Bob Nightingale this week. I, I can't believe we're doing this again. The Angels are open to trading Mike Trout if he indicates to them that he wants out. Which, they're in free fall mode. We've chronicled it on the show. Actually, this is our weekly pile on the Angels segment. The Angels are, might lose Mike Trout, even though he's the one guy that doesn't that seems content with just playing for them as a perennial loser for his entire career. Even he might finally want to leave, which tells you a lot about where you are. So the Phillies trade for Mike Trout. That's an off-season discussion. Short answer, absolutely not. It makes no sense. This team with young center fielders is primed to just good defense out there. Then you get some offense. They don't need Mike Trout. They need their resources elsewhere in pitching. However, I will say, if this actually happens, what I root for the Phillies to trade for him just for the sheer content that would come from it, 100%. That'd be perfect. That is the perfect offseason addition. Bring back Mike Trout, who hasn't played a full season in four or five years. That'd be awesome. All right, it's on the clock. When we come back, a, a big move was made by the Mets this week. We'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it means. And then we'll talk power rankings. I have a question. Are the three best teams in baseball all in the National League right now. Consider that. We'll touch on it in a bit. It's on the clock. We'll take you through the upcoming week as well. Stay right there. All right, we're back. On the clock, the MLB-wide section of the show, 
which because we already ripped the Angels in the last segment, we are moving on to bigger headlines in this one. Jeff Passan tweeted, September 12th, the New York Mets are hiring former Milwaukee Brewers general manager David Stearns as the president of baseball operations. He also goes on to say, a monumental addition to the organization. Stearns, who's 38, will take over officially once the regular season is over. The new era of the Mets begins soon. So there you go. David Stearns, the former Milwaukee executive, is now the Mets general manager. Where do I start? I I worked a couple years in Wisconsin. And I, I went to school out there. I got a job in radio. And obviously we talk about the Brewers. Now I would watch every Phillies game and follow the Phillies closely, given fandom. And there was a, there's an overhanging problem with the Brewers that whatever you say, however you talk about them, you were always going to be shouted from the rooftops that the owner doesn't spend money. So you mentioned a free agent. You mentioned how they make the team better. You get calls, you get tweets. Others say, oh, yeah, but the owner won't pay him. The owner's cheap, blah, blah, blah. Now, some of that's real. They have traded star players, Josh Hader for one, because they weren't going to extend him a year and a half later in the future. I say that all to say, the Brewers have been a really good and well-constructed, in my opinion, baseball team for years. They just don't have the star power to win. Now, when Yelich was hitting well, okay, yeah, there you go. And he, and he hadn't for a couple of years. But David Stearns had put together perennial NL Central winners and somewhat contenders in the NL, even though it never they never made it to the World Series. They had some teams, though, that could have. They had Game 7 at home against the Dodgers in 2018 or 19. David Stearns put together great teams without the luxury that Dave Dombrowski, for example, has in Philadelphia. Dave has a budget where he can go get Castellanos and Schwarber at the end of an offseason after paying Harper recently and paying Wheeler, and then he goes and gets Trey Turner. When you can sign great players, your job is easier. You have to build a team still, but you aren't necessarily tied to the same issues. When the money is a lot less, the margins are so much smaller. Every move as a GM that you make have to be great. And Stearns was was awesome. I mean, he put together the best pitching staff in baseball with Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, and somehow always found a fourth and fifth starter that were good, whether it was Wade Miley this year or whoever else. He, he always put together one of the best bullpens in baseball, and then he would make an offense of underpriced, maybe cast-offs that didn't get a chance elsewhere, but would come to Milwaukee and perform. He put together contenders with a really restricted budget. Now he's going to New York. And I don't want to overreact because the Mets are still the Mets. There's something to be said about they're just going to be losers and fail in big moments. For forever, in perpetuity. But I'm scared because David Stearns in New York with a Stephen Cohen payroll means not only are the Mets going to land great players, but they're going to do so a lot smarter than they've done. This year's team, for example, was horribly constructed. Their bullpen sucked. They had no depth in the bullpen. And they were overly reliant on two or three stars in the lineup to get it done. 
And they probably overpaid like Jeff McNeil and Nimmo and those guys who I can't stand. But you're bringing in a guy with experience in the small market of how to win and how to build a team right, and you're giving him endless money to do it. That concerns me. It does. Now, would I take? Do I think Stearns is a better GM than Dabrowski? I don't know the answer to that, because Dabrowski's mo is he goes in somewhere, he makes him a contender, sells the farm system, and then when it gets bad, he leaves or he gets fired. But normally, the contenders he puts together are quite good. Stearns is the other way. It's more of a every single year we're going to have a really solid and really good team, and hopefully one of the times we go on a great run. Now I'm scared. He'll be able to do both at the same time. He'll be able to sign all these big ticket guys, bring him into New York. Otani would be an extreme example, but an Otani type, like the number one free agent on the market. I'm scared that now that Stearns is there, they'll get those guys. And you also have a smart baseball mind putting it all together. So I'm petrified. I hope I'm wrong, but it's a marriage that was arranged for years. We knew this was coming. It was so clear He stepped down like a year ago in Milwaukee, and everybody knew once his contract was up, he's going to the Mets. Now, Phillies fans, if you want to root against one thing, the worst thing that could possibly happen here, in my opinion, would be Craig Council, the Brewers manager, also following Stearns to New York, which I think Council might retire. He might step away from the game. If Craig Council follows him to New York, you have, in my opinion, the best manager in baseball and one of the best executives with, again, Steve Cohen's money, which is a dangerous combination. The Braves are already a juggernaut, and everyone on their roster is like 25, and they're all locked up forever. And they look like a team that is going to be around for some time, if not forever. The Marlins are getting better from what they've been. The Nationals, it's hard to get worse. They've got some young talent coming up. If the Mets become a juggernaut Mets, like that's... First of all, probably the best division in baseball every year, but also that makes things a lot tougher. And then you're the Phillies. You might have to get used to getting that number one wild card unless things change, unless Painter comes up and is great, unless they hit on a couple great free agents like they did with Wheeler because like this team's very good and they're perfectly built for the playoffs. They can get hot. They could beat anybody in a three or five game series, but The Braves have won six straight division titles for a reason. They are a a better team and a better organization right now. And that's top to bottom. That's pitching. That's offensively. That's bullpen. That's the farm system. They have kids coming up from everywhere and helping the team. So I, I very much love when the Mets are bad or when they're good and choke. I don't need them becoming a great Mets organization and a well run team. That's for sure. All right. It's on the clock. I'm Ben Kenny. Um, real quick, MLB Power Rankings. I had mentioned this. Are the three best teams in baseball in the National League right now? I started writing them out, and it all depends on how bullish you are in the Phillies. I'm clearly a little down on them at the moment for obvious reasons. The Braves are the best team in baseball. There's an argument that the Dodgers are the second. But I'm look out for them losing to Milwaukee in the second round. The Orioles, obviously, up there. The Astros, um, the Brewers, the Mariners, the Rays, the Phils. There's a You can make an argument that the three teams, whichever of these three teams of Braves, Dodgers, Phillies, 
comes out of the NL, wins it all this year. For the reason of they are maybe the best constructed to win if the Dodgers pitching figures it out. But you just have a sense that, okay, if the Phillies get there, that means they're red hot like they were. And hopefully with last year's luck going a little differently. If the Braves do it, they're just unstoppable and they're going to win. And if the Dodgers do, well, they're probably going to lose because that's what the Dodgers have done for my entire life. And the, the 2020 ring doesn't count. But there's, there's an argument to be made that you could trust those three teams more than the Orioles, for instance. The Astros, defending champions, back on top of the division. They're amazing. I just think it's interesting. It's not as if the AL has full of these juggernauts. Like, the, the Rangers have faltered. The NL top to bottom, I would take as World Series favorites. If you gave me even money right now, AL versus NL, who wins the World Series, i take the NL. That'd be my pick. All right, it's on the clock. We close it out when we return. A look ahead to the week of Phillies baseball. We'll be right back. All right, it's on the clock. We're back, closing it out. The Phils have yet another massive week ahead of them. It begins in St. Louis, where it began in the playoffs last year, where they said goodbye to Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols, which was unbelievable. Thank you again to... Carlos Marmol for handing them that series. Now it's their turn to do the same to Adam Wainwright, who is in his swan song, is getting rocked, just hit win number 199. Now I don't know if he's going to be a pitch, if he's going against the Phils this weekend. I really hope he is. But that is a series the Phillies have to win. I'll say. They have to win this series. You got Nola Friday, Ranger Saturday, and Taiwan Walker on Sunday. They don't face Wainwright, but the guys they do face give up runs. This is the Cardinals are bad. They're a dead team. You have to win the series because then they turn around and go to Atlanta, where we know how it went in Philly. Now imagine that in Atlanta. The only hope there would be the Braves have it all clinched and they're kind of coasting into the playoffs. But we know how this goes. They're going to try to keep the Phillies out. So you got three in St. Louis. You got three in Atlanta before a uh, a homestand before the final trip, if that makes sense. The Mets after that, then the Pirates and the Mets again. If you can get through this week, four and two, somehow, sweep the Cardinals, win one against the Braves, take two out of three from both, or I'm fine with three and three. Go two and one and then one and two in the two series. I'm good. Just don't let the Cubs get closer and then beat up on the Mets and beat up on the Pirates. That's how they're going to have to do it. So a pretty huge week. The Cubs, I believe, get the Diamondbacks for three in Arizona, and then they host the Pirates this week. So we'll check back on the standings. Man, they have a they have a cakewalk until the final two series, three in Atlanta and three in Milwaukee, to finish it for the Cubs. So it, I hope the race doesn't get tighter. It's one and a half right now. Let's not let it get under one. I don't need I don't need to wake up thinking about going to Wrigley and having to deal with my Chicago friends. So win some games, Phillies, please. All right. That's our show for the week. We will talk to you next Friday at the time we always do. Wherever you listen to the show, we say thank you. Ben Kenny, Sports Radio, WIP. It's on the clock.